Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. My ugly Christmas Denver Bronco sweater was dirty, so I kind of wear this, right? Uh, <laughs> welcome to Vail Christian Church. You might want to be careful who you invite. I don't know whose idea it was to do ugly Christmas sweater, but it wasn't mine. Okay, it was one of our staff. Ever since I hired the Miller boys, we started doing crazy stuff. It's good to see you this morning. Invite somebody to church. You guys, people are so receptive at this time of year to be invited uh, to church. So take that newsletter, take, uh, take something, take that newsletter with you. you there, there's plenty of them to hand out and invite people to church. Just an invitation. I've invited neighbors and friends and, and uh, it's, so, uh, it's so easy um, uh, to do. Take advantage of doing that this year. Um, because this time of year is thrilling, right? We get to talk about hope, hope that's not cross your fingers kind of hope, hope that is truth, that is real, uh, that is life changing. And today we're going to talk about something I think that's pretty exciting, um, uh, Jesus being our horn of salvation. And, and I, I think what I love about this, okay, Maybe it's just because I'm a guy, but when you do some digging around what horn of salvation means and what horn he's talking about there, we're talking about Jesus being a weapon, all right? A weapon, a, a wild ox horn, a weapon. He is the weapon of our salvation. And uh, so we're going to get to discover that a little bit today. Take your Bible out and turn to Luke chapter one and... Um, <clears throat> Oh, you get to, I, I'm just pretty excited about uh, some of these things that we get to see. So Luke chapter 1, there's a really great scene. I think it's my favorite part of the Christmas story, actually. <clears throat> In particular, we're going to focus on Zachariah and his song. His Benedictus, all right? He has a really great song, and... Um, the reason why I think it's really great, um, there's several reasons, but it's because God sent the angel Gabriel and uh, to tell him some things. Gabriel scared him to death, and he, he presented this message, and Zechariah was like, what? I don't think so. He, exactly, he didn't believe him. And the angel Gabriel got upset. I mean, I, I just can't believe that it happened. But it did. And um, before you're like, what? This, there's no way you should have done this and, and think that this couldn't happen to you. I think we do it all the time. I think we doubt God all the time. And that's what Zachariah did. And he suffered for it. In a nutshell, the angel Gabriel said, I can't believe you did this. And he he shut his mouth um, and kept him from speaking and hearing um, as a result of uh, not listening and not, not uh, believing, being a skeptic, okay? And so I love, uh, I love Zechariah because I think I'm right in that camp sometimes where I doubt the Lord and I don't realize how disappointing, how upsetting it is to God. 
but he has a long time to think about it. So let's just start the story, though, in verse 13 of Luke chapter 1. The, his song starts down there about v- verse 58, but let's just kind of set it up a little bit. In Luke chapter 1, start at verse 13. It says, uh, but the angel said to him, this is Gabriel, do not be afraid. So, you know, obviously when the angels appeared, they're pretty frightening because it's like, whoa, where did you come from, right? Zechariah, he says, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you'll name him John. So they've been praying for a child. They can't have, a, they can't have children. You know, and she's a little elderly and, and, and things like that. So they're, he's thinking, there's no way this isn't going to happen. But they've been praying, all right? And then the angel shows up and says, guess what? Prayers have been answered. <laughs> have you ever prayed for something and God answers and you're like, no. Or maybe you don't like the answer or, I, you know, it, it's shocking to me. All right, that this happens. All right, verse, uh, verse 14. Joy and gladness will come to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. I mean, man. He will turn many, people, um, uh, turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go as a forerunner. He'll go before, right? the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the, uh, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. So Zechariah can't believe this. He doesn't believe it. And he says as much. So Gabriel responds with indignation. Now this is a messenger from God, right? And he's got authority and he's got a message. His whole job is about delivering this message. And then Zechariah is like, what? No. Uh. So pick it up in verse 19. The angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> and he sets him straight right off. Who stands in the presence of God and I will, uh, and, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news you knucklehead. I just threw that in, that part. <laughs> and now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled, by the way, in their time, you will be silent, unable to speak until these days, or until these things take place. And wouldn't that be cool to have that kind of power? When somebody was just like, you know, disagreeing or didn't believe you and you just were able to go, you know what? Just, well, that sounds so great to me to be able to do that. So Gabriel, I feel like he enjoyed his job right there for a little bit, right? He's like, oh, I can't believe you. I, I stand in the presence of God and I got this message. This is what I'm all about. I scared you to death, by the way. You know, and you know that there's something different about me. And then you have the nerve to not believe what I got to say. I'm just going to shut your mouth here for a while. And not only that, he can't hear either, okay? So it's all of this. Now, nine months later, this is nine months, so as long as it takes to have a baby, right? Time came. Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist. And at the child's circumcision, all the neighbors started to call the child Zachariah. So they start calling him Junior, right? And Zachariah has had a long time to think this over, right? It's been nine months, he can't talk. 
<laughs> right? So look what he does. Uh, in obedience to God, now he's going to be obedient, all right? In obedience to God, Zechariah, he writes on a tablet because, you know, he can't hear or speak, so he's writing it on a tablet. No, 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 no. His name is not Junior, all right? His name is John. Immediately after his obedience, Zechariah's mouth is opened and his tongue is released and he speaks and he begins to bless God. I love it. This is so many good lessons right there. We'll get to that. Pick it up in verse 68, okay? In verse 68, here comes his blessing. Here comes his song. It's a great song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he has come to help and has redeemed his people. For he's raised up a horn of salvation. Underline that because that is a weapon that God is, he's being described here. A horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 70, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets, that's, you know, a long time ago, prophesied some of Isaiah's prophecy, Micah, uh, some of those prophecies are 600 years before Jesus is even born. Talking about Jesus being born and being sent, right? So he's, this Old Testament stuff, says, uh, verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He's done this to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant or his promise. He promised this all along. Uh, not that long ago, you know, eight, eight months uh, or, or more, almost a year now, we went through a, a series called The Story and we identified all these promises from God clear back to Abraham, right? The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham's part of the story. This whole story, right? This oath grants that we, verse 74, that we being rescued from the land or from the hand of our enemies may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him as long as we live. This is a long song. It sounds it doesn't sound like he's gonna sing very good, but all right, verse 75, or verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So there's only a few verses here where he's actually talking about his son, John the Baptist. Every, all, all the other verses are really about Messiah, Jesus, right? Verse 77, um, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's tender mercy, the dawn will break upon us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So that's his song. It's an awesome song. And he's had a long time to sit around and write this song and to think about what he did, all right? So let's just talk about Zachariah's silence. Let's talk about his solitude for a little bit because there's a lot of lessons right there for all of us. He had nine months to brood, to think, to pray, to meditate on his Bible. His Bible's the Old Testament to go back and start trying to connect the dots and to think about all this stuff because he's, you know, can't talk now. His silence is, is a rebuke of unbelief, but God always turns these rebukes all right? He always turns these rebukes into reward for those who keep faith. It's just like this. When you discipline your children, 
right? You do it for their good. And you come back. Have you ever disciplined your child? This is so awesome because it's happened to me multiple times. Discipline your child and after they sit there and they, they think about it and it's all over and the crying's done and they're, you know, and they've had time to think about it. What happens? If, you, if you've done it right and you're right and it's all good, your kid comes back and they give you a hug and it's all good. It's just, it's sweet. It's good. And there's, I'm sorry. And it's a total change of attitude. Everything. I would feel better and, you know, uh, the whole thing, you just, you know, you, you, it's, it, you're, you're restored. This is what God is after. Why does that happen? In, in, in particular with fathers, because we're created in the image of God. God the Father is, has installed that into earthly fathers. When you discipline your children, you rebuke them, when you set them straight, when you punish them, and then you come back, there's always a reward for that, especially when you acknowledge, I blew it, Right? It's, it, this is what God is doing here. At first, saying to himself, right, um, you know, he, he, he's going over, over and over, why didn't I believe the word of God? Why did, why did I have to be so skeptical? What a fool I was. But see, he's had all this time to think about this. Now, I want you to apply just this one thing right here. Remember that if right now, in your life, because we're, we all get here in one place or another, you're, you're suffering from the scars of past sins, because that's what will happen. I like to refer to that as the indirect judgment of God. We're, we're forgiven from our sins, right? Jesus forgives our sins, past, present, and future, when you confess Jesus as Lord, and you acknowledge that you're sinful and that you need a Savior. But there is still indirect judgment or and consequences for sin a lot of times right and you suffer those cars and you carry those around for a long time maybe that's where you are right now if you keep faith now in God though God will turn those marks of sin into memorials of grace that's what's so beautiful about the Lord and that's what he does here with Zachariah he's learned he gets it all right and God comes back and those rebukes then become Things that you can look back on and go, okay, there's real good and purpose in all of this. And you can see some really good things. So he's had time to reflect on all that. I like to think that what God does with our sin and those scars, he, he if you will allow him, he will recycle those. You know, we're a culture of recycling. We love recycling, right? He will recycle that pain into something where it could be really good in somebody's life. And, 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 and it can be utilized in somebody's life. So, here's what happens. You know, Zacharias had time to sit around and brood and think. But he's discovering gradually that's what's happened. At first, I'm sure he's pretty fired up and upset. Like, oh, Gabriel, if I was an angel, you know. I don't know. I, I, I think I would have been upset too. And what are you going to do? You can't do anything. You can't speak. Oh, so awesome. Right? Why didn't I believe the word of God? Why did I have to be skeptical? Why was I such a fool? But then, just gradually, I think the angel, you know, it strikes him deaf and dumb. He can't speak because verse 62 says that they communicated to him with signs instead of speech, right? So they're trying to communicate. It's frustrating for everybody, by the way. Gradually, the silence of those months when it 
when he couldn't converse with his wife, with his friends, he begins to see what was happening. It began to sink in into his head and his heart that these were incredibly significant days. And it dawns on him, oh my goodness, this is, this is, this is amazing. I can't pass over the experience right here of Zechariah without a further application. And it's this, if we don't seek out silence, we're probably not going to feel the significance of God's work in history in our lives. You know, sometimes we have to seek out silence. Sometimes we just need to get away. Sometimes you just shut the phone off, turn off the TV, turn, you know, take those earbud things out of your ears. The new wireless ones from Apple are so awesome. <laughs> I know. I'm hoping that somebody knows that and gives that to me for Christmas. I don't know if they're called earbuds. I don't know what they're called, but, but they're so cool. I've watched the advertisements. But we, we, you know, we're plugged into everything all the time. Last night, I was kind of reviewing things. I, I like to review, um, you know, on Saturday night. Oh, Linda and I bought a new bed. We needed a new bed. The kids have been gone. So we finally, like, caught our breath a little bit financially. And we've been sleeping on this bed that's like, whoa. It's in the guest room now for all of our guests. <laughs> But we bought a new bed, and it's one of those, oh, it's so cool, oh, it's awesome. It's one of those beds that's like, it, you know, it's motorized, it sits up like that. Oh, so great. I can sit up and use my laptop, and I don't have to be out of bed. Oh, I love it. There's only one remote control, and Linda and I fight over the remote control. Oh, it's so great. But I'm sitting there, and, you know, I am, I I said, to, she's like, turn off the TV. And I'm like, I'm not watching it. She's like, what's it doing on? And I'm like, I need it kind of as background or whatever. It helps me. And she's like, you're crazy. And, uh, but that's what happens is, you know, we're so like, there's so much going on that we, I don't know, I can't like just be quiet. I, if it's too quiet, I'm like, I can't concentrate. Isn't that awful? That's the way it is. I, you know, I, I know it's the way it is for all of us. But here's the thing. If, you, if, you, if we would just practice unplugging and find some silence and solitude, I think God sits on us in just an, in, a, in a way that's totally different, right? What would it mean for your life if for nine months you couldn't hear and you couldn't say anything? Now, imagine this for yourself, not somebody else, okay? Because <laughs> I can imagine it from somebody else. And it's not who you think it is. <laughs> but what about for you? What about for you? This is a big deal. Lots more looking into the eyes of your wife and your kids or your husband, right? When was the last time you just looked steadily into somebody's eyes? Anyone that you love in particular and just, you know kind of pondered some things. Maybe you'd read more books, lots more writing, journaling, letters, just thinking, right? Maybe you'd write a poem, maybe, maybe a song. Lots more prayer and meditation on the Word of God. 
all in absolute silence. See, Zechariah comes out filled with the Holy Spirit and singing what has come to be known as the Benedictus or this song, and it's filled with insight with a sense of amazing significance, right, of what was about to happen with the birth of Jesus. We just don't do this enough. There's no, no wonder we don't, we can't, we don't get it, right? No, no wonder we, we, do, we don't spend enough time. We want it spoon-fed to us. We're hoping that Pastor Ben can feed it to us enough to where we connect the dots, but I, I'm just not that good. Man, there has to be some time, right? So while we consider how we can seek some silence for ourselves, let's, let's learn what the Holy Spirit has taught Zechariah because he'll do the same thing for you. Look at this song again, right? Zechariah's song of the Savior, of, the, of Jesus. Most of Zechariah's song is taken up not with his own son, right? He doesn't write about his own son very much. Just two verses, verse 76 and 77. Most of it is about the salvation the Messiah would bring. And, and he gets this horn part in there. I love that part, right? The nine months earlier, Zechariah could not believe his wife would have a child. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's so confident of God's redeeming work in the coming Messiah that he puts it in the past tense. Zechariah has learned to take God at his word, and so he has a remarkable assurance now. He's, he gets it. He's assured of it. And so it's confidence. He's come to help and has redeemed past tense. He's come to help and, and has redeemed. Here's the, here's the next thing. The second thing, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, is a visitation of God to our world. He's come to help and has redeemed. For, for centuries, the Jewish people, they're, they're waiting. And they're, they're, there's something else going on here. They've waited under the conviction that God, ha, because God had withdrawn Right? They're, 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 they, can't, they can't see him very, very well, right? The spirit of prophecy has ceased. Israel has, has fallen into the hands of Rome. And man, they don't like it. They're, they're people that are subject to Rome now. And all the godly in Israel, they're waiting the visitation of God. They're waiting for Messiah. Luke tells us in chapter 2, and you don't have to go there, but he says that the, 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 the devout Simeon, that's another great story, was looking for the consolation of Israel, and Anna was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. These are days of great expectation. So, um, just like today, I, 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 it's how many days until Christmas? Anybody know? Nine. See? <laughs> how come it just pops out like that? This is great expectation. Nine days! I get some of those earbud things. <laughs> She's not getting me that. <laughs> Somebody else is going to have to, I'm telling you. <laughs> what was I talking about? <laughs> Expectations, right? Hmm. Oh, it's good. We are so excited that our kids are going to be here. And they're both married. We've been killing ourselves like painting and redoing the house and ripping out carpet and all this stuff. So unbelievable. Because we're expecting just to be with our kids and they're staying in our house and they're, oh, right? 
It's, there's huge expectations. I got an expectation about food. Do you? I totally do. My kids do. My kids have both called me and talked to me about what food we're eating, Dad. You know, Christmas Eve, uh, we usually have chili. We're having that, right? Because that's our expectation. I'm like, yeah, I don't have anything to do on Christmas Eve. I'll get right on it, right? <laughs> they both talked to us about, hey, uh, you know, the room I grew up in, that bed is, it's bad, right? What you going to do something about that? You know? Isn't that crazy? So we've been, yeah, well, I mean, unbelievable. I'm not, it's, it's crazy, the expectations, right? Everybody has it. Everybody has it. Mm. Why would not, why wouldn't Israel have an expectation? They've been waiting for this a long time and they've been under the suppression, reading the Old Testament, Messiah, all these things, trying to connect the dots. So they got an expectation. And they get it messed up a little bit, right? Two. Okay. So he's coming to redeem. Zechariah probably never dreamed the Messiah would have to die to accomplish redemption, though. He never dreamed about that. You remember Peter? We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and Peter, you know, uh, when Jesus starts revealing, hey, I'm going to have to die, Peter's like, what? You can't talk like that. Be quiet. Shh. Come here. Come here. Come here. You've got to stop talking like that. No way. And Jesus says what? You better be careful. You're acting. You're talking like the devil. You're talking like Satan. Get, get behind me. Right? Remember, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's, wow. It's like... Peter, you don't get it, dude. Well, Zach, why would Zechariah be any different? The disciples, I mean, Jesus spent years trying to get this through his guy's head that he's going to have to die, right? So there's been hints of this throughout the Old Testament, like Isaiah 53. But none of the Jews in Jesus' day understood this. So what Zechariah had in mind when, when he said God had visited and, and, and redeemed his people was probably the same thing Moses had in mind when he described God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, right? Moses quotes God saying, therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. Just the way he say that's like, I'm going to bring it, Right? I'll bring you out of uh, your enslavement to the Egyptians. I'll rescue you from the hard labor they impose. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, meaning I'm going to bring it. I mean, that's what I get. Zechariah, no doubt, he's hoping that... The Israel of his day will be delivered from the oppressive Roman overlords and that Messiah, the King of David, will reign over liberated Israel. It's not been revealed to Zechariah that, that this national, political um, um, uh, deliverance will not happen in the first coming of the Messiah. I promise you, it's going to happen in the second coming. He is going to bring it. Right, just, just keep reading the end of the book because he rides in on a white horse and what is tattooed on his thigh. I'm not going to tell you. You've got to go read it for yourself. 
But that, if there's a, if that makes me want to get a tattoo right there too for some reason. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. And he is going to bring it. But Zach, so Zechariah doesn't realize this yet. He's still trying to connect the dots. It's not been revealed to him. You know. But we will see signs in Zechariah's son that the redemption of the Messiah is more than a national liberation. Uh, so, so the fourth thing that you notice in verse 68, go to verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he's come to help and has redeemed his people. So the people in view are the people of Israel. This, is, this was the chosen nation to whom the promises have been given. God had the world in view though, but he aimed to come to Israel first. So Jesus says in Matthew 15, I was sent only to the, um, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But just like there's a clue in Zechariah's song that God's redemption is for more than just the national Israel. So there's a clue that the beneficiaries of the redemption are more than Israelites. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he's come to help and has redeemed his people. Now in verse 69, he tells us how this visitation and redemption will happen. Verse 69, for he's raised up a horn of salvation, a weapon for us in the house of his servant David. This is Jesus, not John the Baptist. John was not of the house of David. Jesus is the horn of salvation. So let's talk about the horn. It's an exciting image at Christmas. Right? Jesus as the horn. Uh, the, the, the kind of horn meant here is not a musical thing, right? Not that kind of thing, but a deadly weapon of the wild ox. A deadly weapon. <laughs> it's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is called a horn, by the way. So you got to go back to the Old Testament, just like Zechariah no doubt did, because he had nine months to think about it and do a little research. Okay? He got the image. Psalm 92. You want to turn to Psalm 92? You can find it. Verses 9 and 10. You can buzz through there while I read it. Psalm 92, 9 and 10. Gives us a picture of what the horn stood for. Verse 9, indeed. Look at your enemies, O Lord, indeed. Look at how your enemies perish. All the evildoers are scattered. You exalt my horn like that of a wild ox. I am covered with fresh oil. So the horn's a sign of strength. And it means victory, Micah 4, you know, another prophet, Micah uh, chapter 4, verse 13, God says to Jerusalem, get up and thresh, daughter of Zion, for I will give you iron horns, I will give you bronze hooves, and you will crush many nations. So it's not hard to imagine that the horn of the wild ox be, uh, became for the ancient Near Eastern people a sign of tremendous strength and a means of victory in conflict. Verse 70, so go back. Go back, you got to keep your finger in there. Sorry, in Luke chapter 1. Verse 70 says that the coming of the horn of salvation was prophesied a long time ago. And the clearest example is in Psalm 132. You don't have to turn there. There'll be, uh, there I'll make David strong. I have determined that my chosen king's dynasty will continue when a horn sprouts on an ox's head and becomes like iron. Then he must be feared by all of his enemies. So the Old uh, Testament always finds the conviction that God is the one who fights for Israel. God fights for Israel. 
He's the one who's, who's strong, who gets the victory over the his enemies of his, of his people. So it's not surprising that the only two instances of the phrase horn of salvation in the Old Testament are references to God, not man. You know, God does the battle, right? God does the battle. Remember David? We talked about David a little bit last week. He stands up before Goliath. And he says, hey, the battle. You know, you know why I'm going to kill you with a slingshot? Because I'm so good? No. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. That's why you're going to fall. I'm going to cut your head off, by the way. I know I've been preaching a lot of like murderous kind of stuff at Christmas. I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed it, you know, to the birds. Everybody's going to pick around on this Goliath. Because you mock God. Don't monkey with God. Don't blaspheme. Don't defile God. Don't, don't talk like this. That's oh. <laughs> why so I like this horn thing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weapon, right? Okay. God is, God is his defense, by the way. He's, look, the Psalm of David, after God saved him from his enemy Saul, David writes, he says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. <laughs> David writes that, right? God is his defense, his shield, and he is his offense, his deadly and powerful horn. He has a horn of salvation because he uses his power to secure. which according to verse 71, God uses to save his people from their enemies and all who hate them. Zechariah, as he's writing this, means primarily that the Messiah will one day literally destroy his enemies and gather his people into, the, in, into his land and rule them in peace. And he will, when he comes a second time, you know, bring it. But Zechariah's words imply more than that. Verse 74 and 75 show that the goal of God's redemption and raising up a horn of salvation is to, look at verse 74, that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies may serve him without fear. When you got a weapon doing battle on your behalf like that, you don't got anything to be afraid of. In verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him as long as we live. We could be fearless. <clears throat> I love that. It gives me confidence and assurance. I can be fearless. God's aim in raising a horn of salvation is not to liberate an oppressed people, but to create a holy and righteous people who live without fear because they trust him. Because he keeps his promises and he does what he says he's going to do. But that, that's not cross your finger kind of hope. That is truth. At Christmas, man, did people need that, to know that. This means that the redemption spoken of in verse 68 includes the redemption from fear of enemies and from all unrighteousness, and it implies that ultimately the people spoken of in verse 68 are not just Jews, that's everybody, that's all of us. Anyone who are not the enemies of Messiah, anyone who serves God Without fear. Without fear. Oh, I think it, it makes me bold. 
gives me assurance and confidence. It makes me want to just bring it. <laughs> so even though Zechariah is thinking mainly eventually of national redemption of believing Israel, it's so much bigger than that, right? And God has a bigger goal. Jesus is the great ox horn of salvation for all those who call upon him and trust him and live without fear. We have a desperate need, though. In all of life, we do not appreciate gifts that meet no needs or satisfy no desires. Did you notice that? We, if it doesn't meet our need and it's not something we want, it doesn't really like, you know, get us all excited most of the time. We don't value or love an offer of help unless you really need help. When you're sick, or when you're in danger and somebody offers help, it's like, oh, thanks. Thank you. And that's why I think lots and lots of people look at Jesus at Christmas and the story of his coming, and it's not that useful in my life. It's good because we're doing all this stuff and everything, but they don't know that they have a terminal illness called unforgiven sin. And they don't believe in the fearful enemy, Satan. People just don't believe in him. For them, the horn of salvation is just, it's just a toy. It's just something you think about, right? But it is our only hope of recovery from this deadly disease of sin that infects our soul and our only protection from Satan, the most dangerous external enemy. Need this horn, there's a real deadly disease out there. All have sinned and fallen or come short, fallen short of God's glory. Right out of Romans 3.23. Everybody's full of sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. Are those familiar verses? It's a real powerful enemy. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. He is the God of this world and he blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4.4. <laughs> so there's a deadly disease and an awesome enemy and every one of us will die from the disease and be devoured by that enemy if there's no horn of salvation. But, verse 68, go back to verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he's come to help and redeem his people. And on and on, verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from long ago, long time ago, that we should be saved from our enemies. Skip on down to verse 76 and from the hand of all who hate us. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord. This is John the Baptizer, right? To prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So these things make Christmas good news of great joy to everybody who believes. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 9, uh, 26, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus was born to die, to rise again. Fear and guilt, the two great spoilers in our lives. 
fear and guilt. You ever feel guilty or ashamed or are you afraid of some things? We all are. Those two amazing spoilers of life have been taken away because Satan has been disarmed and sin's been forgiven. Hebrews chapter 2, right? Christ took on a human nature that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil and the deliverer of all of those who fear, uh, uh, through the fear of death, were subject to lifelong bondage. And through that same death, he paid the debt of our sins so that if we turn and follow him in faith, we're freed from all that guilt. Blessed or blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he's come to help and has redeemed his people for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Wow. Verse 74, that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him for as long as we live. Satan, he might be a roaring lion. He might even have big sharp teeth. Looking for somebody to devour. But he cannot destroy those who take refuge in Christ. Our horn of salvation. Man, that is powerful. Get your arms around that. Maybe, maybe over this next, how many days? Nine days? Nine days. Take part of, just part of one day. Stop talking. Get by yourself a little solitude and ponder this for a little bit. Wow. I think it has the ability to change your life. This weapon is powerful called Jesus. Goodness. Will you bow your head with me? Thank you, Lord God. For Zechariah, I think he's a, lot, he's a lot like all of us. I think we'd all be in the same place. We might be uh, afraid if uh, Gabriel came on the scene real quick, but... Even then, all of us uh, are bound to doubt, to be skeptical. Help us to think about this, though, Lord God. Lord, thank you, though, that uh, what follows your rebukes are, are good, embracing, loving um, redemption and restoration. Some of us are suffering from scars and residue from sin that we've committed, but God, would you recycle that stuff and, and recycle the pain of that, that stuff so that it might be good in somebody else's life, maybe over this next nine days? Help us to be encouragers, uplifters, people who um, uh, love and care for folks, and to do it fearlessly because you go before us you go before us and you battle on our behalf. You protect us. That's, that's what you set out to do. That's why you give us your son, Jesus, to defeat the enemy. Thank you, Lord God, for the birth of your son, for sending us to us, for caring about us so much, knowing that we couldn't on our own. There was no way. Thank you for making a way through your son, Jesus, the horn of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite somebody to church next Sunday or to Christmas Eve. Have a great day. And there's some eggnog stuff out there. I don't know. They're making some kind of stuff. You should try one of those. It's pretty good.